it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys. We got something special going on here today, but till we get to it, I want to welcome my co-host, my friend, and partner in this journey, the other CPG guy, who's also VP at Fetch Rewards, and sometimes that are lovingly called the man with the radio face and the golden voice, and Mr. 007 himself, who's going to get a lot of publicity now with the upcoming movie. But Sean, but whenever we refer to, when I say your VP at Fetch Rewards, Peter, why don't you decompose, we've never decomposed for the audience more details of what is Fetch Rewards. Take a minute and tell us what Fetch Rewards does, because to me, I think of it as a mobile loyalty platform, but that's a big word. Uh, well, actually, that is what we are, and uh, thanks. It's good to see you, Shri, as always. I'm a little, I'll just say before we get we get started on that, I'm a little intimidated today, because I find it hard to co-manage a single podcast, and our guest today, he's running three. Three! <laughs> so let's put that aside for a second. Let's park that, and I'll get to your question. What is... What is Fetch Rewards? Fetch Rewards is, you know, we've had a couple of my colleagues on, my CEO and, and our chief revenue officer, my my boss, and they've talked a bit about it. But Fetch is basically a, um, a third-party media platform. So it stands apart from retail media. It stands apart from media aggregators. Uh, it, it, it has a loyal following. We App Annie just scored Fetch as having... 10 million monthly active users of its mobile platform. It's a mobile app. People download. What do they do with it? Well, they scan their register receipts and they connect to their Amazon account and their email. And we just, we collect what those people are buying and we reward them with points that they can use to get like Amazon gift cards and Target gift cards and a bunch of other things. But what it does allow us to do is decompose what they are buying at an item level because we are essentially reading the register receipt. And what that allows us to do is then partner with brands who want to reward consumers for buying the products that they're selling. So we have exclusive brand relationships. Uh, and if we see those items in the, in the receipt, we give them a nominal reward. And then if there are targeted offers to acquire new customers, to uh, convert loyalty among switchers and even among the most valuable shoppers getting to increase consumption. And, what that means is is that consumers get rewarded for buying the brands they love. I mean, it's pretty much that straightforward. And the great thing that differentiates us from digital coupon players or loyalty programs is you know that all of those, they require you to run through and scroll and opt in and click, yeah, add that coupon to my card or add that offer to my... We don't do any of that. The reason we don't do that is because when they scan the receipt, we can give the brand what they want, which is a connectivity between the reward they got and the brand they purchased. And we display that. So when they cl click scan register receipt in real time, it tells the consumer, hey, you get the points for all these, but it also analyzes their basket and says, hey, if you had bought this product instead of that product, you would have got X number of hundred more points. So we, we, we over time incentivize them to buy the brands that we're partnered with. And they love it because they get lots of points. They don't miss out on anything. Right? That's a big thing. You're scrolling through those 2,000 coupons that you have to click on. That goes away. No friction. Brands get the most value. 
consumers get the most value. What's really great for brands is since we stand outside, like a lot of those digital coupon and loyalty apps, well, they they require uh, transaction logs from the retailers, which restricts their ability to use that 1P data. We can share that 1P data with brands. So enough about me. That's that's Fetch Rewards in a nutshell. That's what we do, Shreen. You know, for 100 episodes, I introduced him as the loyalty guru. Today, he decomposed for me his passion and what loyalty is all about. At the end of the day, Peter, yeah. you put all of that in a basket. It's about building lifelong partnerships between consumers and brands, which is equity for both. And I'm also a little unhappy today, Peter, because I'm learning that my Bank of America Visa Rewards cards points aren't good enough as what you're producing and offering consumers over here. Fair? Uh, we, you know what? Yeah, we got points for lots of stuff. And it's really excited, as I mentioned to you, we just crossed, according to App Annie, 10 million monthly active users. That's like double, more than double any other digital coupon or rebate program that's out there, which is just bigly, as my my dear colleague on this podcast would say. So now we're going to compare how the CPG guys have done. You know, First of all, I want to thank all our listeners for coming mm-hmm. back to the show week over week. We're close we to 7,000. I would say very active. The key word here is active and engaged followers on LinkedIn. Folks, if you aren't already part of that family on LinkedIn, who's very active, you shape the show. You tell us which guests to bring on and what conversations to have over here. The easiest way to do so after listening to this is go to LinkedIn.com. Not that hard. On a browser, type the word CPG guys in the search box. A little blue plus button shows up. What that is is follow. And why why I suggest you do that is you can participate in what this show does because this show at the end of the day brings its guests on based on what you tell us is the most important topic in the CPG industry. So we Peter and I cannot thank you enough for that. Peter and I are also thrilled to announce that the CPG guys will be soon talking to Sarah Alter, the chair of the Network of Executive Women, also known as NEW. And we will be talking about female leadership in corporate America. And I'm thrilled for that one, Peter. How about you? Yeah, I've been involved, as I think I've mentioned on prior episodes, Sri. I've been involved with New since my days in Cincinnati at Dunhumby and the association with Kroger. I then was one of the ambassadors at CVS that helped shepherd that, and then more recently at Power Reviews and, and now at Fetch Reward. So it has been a commitment uh, from me to be uh, a, a sponsor and an advocate for the advancement of professional capabilities and leadership among women in, in our industry in particular. And I just absolutely cannot say enough about the great things that New is doing and the resources that they bring to DNI. Thank you for that, Peter. And now drumroll peace, because we're on to our special guest of the day. And on the hot seat today is actually my personal inspiration for podcasting. You know, um, I've had a luxury of actually doing quite a few season openers with my friend here I'm about to introduce in one second. But CPG, guys, was born out of an inspiration because I got a chance to go on his podcast year over year, season over season, and we got that whole process going. And please welcome to the show, folks, my personal friend, who will be meeting up in L.A. soon for Breaking Bread. We declared that today, and we may even be hiking the Griffith Observatory soon the CEO of Connectivity Holdings, a media group of portfolio companies, and a fellow podcaster, as Peter said, not with one, not with two, but actually has authored 
three podcasts, and he may be even sharing that a book is about to come out pretty soon. Sean Halter, welcome, sir, to the CPG Guys. Guys, I appreciate the uh, invite, and obviously you guys continue to inspire me as well. Appreciate you guys having me on as a guest of the show. Take 60 seconds and tell our audience, Connectivity Holdings, what are the portfolio companies and what do they all focus on? I'll try to do it in 30 if I can. So uh, we're, a, we're a small holding group. We've got a lot of different companies that are kind of up and down the marketing funnel. We own a digital company, an advertising agency, a creative group. And then more importantly, most of my time right now is being spent uh, in a tech stack, um, which again is why Peter is always so interesting to me. And, and even just the business that he's in is is a business that's been around for a little while. I think I think Peter, you guys have done a really great job of really being super smart about it. There was another group a few years ago when I when I still ran the agency, and I remember them actually coming to us. We had um, ODX Haircare at the time, which is obviously a, a it was a pretty large um, group that was independent before it got bought out by Johnson and Johnson. And this company came to us and they pitched us this opportunity to be part of this app piece, where again they you know you're scanning in essence a receipt code and you're you're actually you're able to figure out what what a consumer's actually bought and to me that day was almost a little transformative because to me it helped me to understand that I really need to get in the tech game I really need to be thinking forward thinking nothing wrong with traditional media nothing wrong with programmatic and behavioral and contextual but when you can actually see what a consumer is doing when you can actually impact that behavior a little bit and just help to better understand what's really most important to that consumer where that just kind of set me off on a, on a whole different track. And uh, uh, unfortunately, a big pile of cash later. Uh, now, now we're in the thick of it, and we're getting ready to roll out a, a platform called uh, Bid for Media, which kind of combines up all those different parts or pieces. It gives brands a, a chance to be able to just look at some things that are different out there, maybe some things they've never seen it before. They may not actually understand what Peter's company you know, does until right now when he kind of walks through it and explains it. And for a media buyer that's just got tons and tons sitting on her plate and she's trying to figure out how do I how do I get all this off my plate, but I need a new shiny penny, I need something different. You know, there's so many of them that their boss or their client says, Well, this radio buy is great, this cable buy is great, but what else you got? What's new? What's something different or interesting? And really what you've done, Peter, is um, what the company that you work for now really is the exactly you know where that sweet spot is. For us, we feel like with this platform that we're rolling out, it really is going to give us a chance to kind of just help buyers have a place to be able to go just look, sample, see what's out there, see what you guys are doing, see if it's a right fit for a client. So that's what I'm doing, Shree. And at the same time, as you mentioned, I do a few different podcasts. I do the CMO Suite. We do two seasons of that a year. As you mentioned, Shree, you jump on with us every year with that. And then in the summer, I take uh, I take off and I do kind of these uh, one-off uh, podcasts. We do usually 10 or 12 episodes of kind of specialization. And so... Two years ago, I did one called The Digital Fix. For just that reason, I was trying to get in the tech stack space. I couldn't find a really great podcast at the time that would help me to understand the space. Um, and so uh, we did about, I think, 12 episodes of that. And then this past summer, we've just wrapped up a, a podcast called Buyer's Remorse, which is all about media buying and people that are in that media space. And boy, those are some amazingly funny characters. And they really are characters. So you can find any of those uh, podcasts, including the CPG guys, on marketingcast.com. We list a lot of really great ones there. Tree, we're going to put a link to all of his podcasts in the digital liner notes of this episode. I highly encourage everybody to listen to him. Shree, I look at like the CMO Suite podcast as like the network TV show with a full range of episodes. And the other ones are kind of like the, the Netflix with a limited series. But I love them all. They all have different 
uh, angles to them and the conversations are very authentic and really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. We're actually going to decompose each one of these as I'm slowly about to ask you, whether it's the digital fix, buyer's remorse or CMO suite, what's power packed and what, what our listeners can find in each one of those. But I want to start, Sean, before we go into podcasting, before we go into connectivity holdings, tell us about yourself, right? So you are now the CEO of a media holdings company. You're working with some of the largest brands across a diverse portfolio of industries. It's not any one industry here, clearly. And how does a guy wake up one day, get born on planet Earth, and become the CEO of a media? Like, were you born to do this? This is what you wanted to do since you got to high school? How did this all happen? Well, I always loved advertising. I was always the kind of kid that you'd watch Saturday morning cartoons, and I found the commercials so much more interesting sometimes in the show. So I think I always just kind of had a foot... Um, in that space a little bit. I did spend some time with Nickelodeon as a game show host. That's my claim to fame, uh, which was a lot of fun. Got to see the country. I did a touring show for them called Game Lab. And then I went back to school. Um, I graduated from uh, University of Central Florida. And uh, and that was um, an opportunity just to figure out kind of what my career path was. I always thought I'd own an advertising agency. And strangely enough, I won't go too far down that uh, rabbit hole. But strangely enough, a guy came in to one of our advertising classes and just said, you know, how many of you think you're going to go work for an advertising agency? And everybody raises their hand because it was supposed to be sexy. And then he said, how many of you want to go work at a radio station? And everybody was like, who the hell wants to go work for a radio station? But what was interesting about his pitch, which again, it's all sales. At the end of the day, it's all sales, uh, was he said, look, if you go work for an agency, you're not going to make any money anyway. So why not go work for a media company? And then at least you'll understand what we do and you'll have something different to bring to the table. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So I ended up actually going working for a Paxson Communications, uh, was, was, what the company was called at the time. Eventually got bought out by Clear Channel. It's now iHeartRadio. I worked in that industry for many, many, many years, selling events and sponsorships and, and, and media. And then from there, eventually had enough clients that just kind of said, hey, look, if you, if you ever decide to kind of start an agency, we'd love to go with you. So about a dozen years ago, I built uh, an advertising agency. It's still around. It's called Connectivity. Uh, I've got a great team that runs that group uh, for us now. And then a few years after that, we kind of uh, dipped our toe into the digital media space, really trying to understand what it was. We had a few clients. One of them happened to be a CPG client called Deep Eddie Vodka. And they had a, their, own, their own digital team. We were spending about a half a million dollars in what I would call digital media at the time. And they just said, well, what's this line item? What is this? And we're like, oh, it's, it's digital media. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but, but what is it? And we were like, well, here's the click-through report. Um, here's the graph. And they were like, no. We need something deeper. We really need to know what's happening here. And I'll be honest with both of you. You know, the, the advertising agency was very profitable, continues to be profitable. But that was the nudge that I needed just as we kind of opened the show, Peter. And I was kind of saying to you that, you know, that group kind of came and um, you can cut their name if you want. They're called Ibotta. And so they kind of came and they kind of pitched us and they just said, you know, here's something that might be interesting for that client. And that was, again, a bit of a precipice or whatever that word is uh, to kind of push me in the direction of, gosh, I... I, I really need to understand this space. And I think it was almost only at that time, guys, that I really realized that I had only been living at the top part of this cake. You know, I'd only been living at this kind of big brand side. I thought the fact that we knew TV outside of radio was like interesting and outdoor. You throw that in there. But there was so much underneath this. And the explanation that I used to give, which is, you know, not the same now, but the explanation I used to give was that traditional, this is, a, this is an iceberg. And so the traditional is the top part of this iceberg. And we all know that in this industry. But if you don't look underneath that, you don't realize everything else that's at the under part, the underbelly of this. And that's where this is all headed. 
And so that's what I thought was probably going to take place. And in fact, it seemed like it kind of did. We built up a digital company called Uconnect, which does managed service in the programmatic space. It sits mostly on a platform called the Trade Desk, um, which again is a demand side platform. I'm going to go down that rabbit hole if you want to at some point. And um, then, as I said, uh, you know, to Peter, I, I kind of always have been interested in tech. I've always been interested in pushing myself outside of my comfort level. And I just felt like the right opportunity to come along, having both worked on the media side and the agency side and really seeing what's out there, like the companies that you guys both work for. I just felt like, gosh, I know how hard it is for my media buyers to, to push themselves. And I know how they're always pressed for time. Could we come up with something that's just everything that's unique or interesting out there? Anything that for me is kind of a lean in moment. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you kind of listen to Peter talking about, you know, what the company does that he works for, at some point you, you probably leaned in like, well, hold on, you know, how do you do that? How, how do they scan these and how do you understand that and how do brands interact with that? That's a lean-in moment. And gosh, there's nothing, nothing like a lean-in moment to educate yourself. So that's really kind of how I ended up where I was and where I'm at today. You know, for the benefit of our audience, which tends to be very cross-functional in nature, finance, sales, marketing, of course, but also supply chain, and then buyers from retailers. Take a second, Sean, to just decompose what does programmatic advertising mean for those who don't know what it is? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We all live in our own heads, right? We all live in our own space. We all learn these acronyms. And uh, you're, you're right, Shree. It's the space I live in. And so sometimes I'm probably just throwing out acronyms because that's the space we live in. And I, I'll, I'll say this to speak to programmatic. When we first tried to figure out what that was, I remember sitting on a bunch of calls. This is true. I, I'm, I'm 52. My, my club age is 45, guys. But I remember, I, so I probably was around 40 or 45 at the time. And I was on a call with iHeart and iHeart's digital team. And they were asking me about, you know, which, which DSPs we were using. And I, I didn't even know what that was, right? So I'm writing down an acronym. I'm writing down DSP. I'm trying to look it up. And I just said, you know, we don't divulge that information. But the reality was, to your point, we just didn't understand what the acronym was. And so... When we look at programmatic, programmatic basically is forms of digital media that are run through a bidding platform. Google, in essence, runs a demand-side platform. Google, in fact, runs a lot of their advertising inventory through programmatic kinds of channels. It's biddable media. In most cases, it's digital, and that is because the way that the actual um, functionality of the inventory is pushed through, and Peter talked a little bit about first party on this, you know, you're buying basically profiles. You're saying, I'd like to reach consumers that are 25 to 54 that shop at grocery stores three times a week. And I don't really care where I reach them. I just want to make sure that they also drink alcohol. So these demand side platforms, whether they be Google or the trade desk, those are really two of the largest. They allow advertising agencies and consumers who buy media to be able to kind of build out those profile sets and buy based on that. The the good part of that is you can be super targeted, right? It's something that, again, obviously the whole industry is continuing to kind of figure out how much of that targeting and that information do we want to allow others to be able to own of ourselves and how much are we willing to say, yeah, I'm okay if you know that this is who I am so that at least if I'm going to get pushed advertising, I can get pushed advertising that I care about, right? So I don't know if that answered that at least a little bit, but they're basically auctionable platforms that allow you to be able to typically buy based on the consumer as opposed to who the medium is. Can I add one piece yep. to that? Or go ahead, Peter. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, the only thing I was going to add to that, and you talked a bit about first party. So again, if you're uh, if you're not in marketing, you're not in advertising, and you 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 are in a different function, and you may or may not understand what first party data is or third party data. So first party data is just 
It's the data that, that a brand owns. It's their direct connection to you. And that's incredibly valuable because they know that it's clean. They know that it's you. They know typically for the most part that you are who you say that you are. The further you get away from that, you end up with something called third-party data. And so third-party data is another group that says, this is this consumer and just trust us, but go ahead and spend money with us. And we're going we're gonna to tell you who they, who they kind of are, but we're not really going to tell you exactly who they are. And so there's nothing wrong with that. There's many very, very reputable companies that utilize third-party. Most programmatic utilizes some form of third-party. But what's happened over time is what happens with anything. Abuses tend to kind of come in. You tend to end up sometimes with uh, with somebody who says this group is a third-party group that's supposed to match maybe what you want, but you end up losing some of that reality. And sometimes you end up just with with a group that maybe isn't exactly what you think they are. So I think it's coming full circle in some ways. I think brands are coming back to wanting to possess as much first-party data as they can or data that they own. And also, I think there's a shift that's taking place in the programmatic world, which again, typically tends to kind of strip out who the who the media company is that you're actually running these ads with because you're so focused on talking to this specific consumer. But you end up sometimes with the weather.coms of the world and the backpacker of America.com. These just aren't real sites. You know, you're not really talking to a real consumer there. It's a bot. It's meant to just chew up this spend that you have and soak as much of it you know, up as they can. And so where my mindset is that I think a lot of brands um, in the space are going to push themselves back to trying to own as much first-party data as they can. And at the same time, it might feel a little old school, but I think they'll try to figure out ways that they can also deal with reputable marketing and media brands out there that they feel like they trust the information they're being provided. Peter? You know, Sean, I'd like to get a little bit more into the targeting of audiences because you touched on a transformation that's occurring, right? The way that media traditionally was purchased, television, they would say, hey, I've got an audience. It's female. It's 18 to 34. And in this area of the country, it was just, it was demographics, right? And let's talk even income, right? I've learned that income is is indicative of a capacity to buy, not a propensity to buy. So what's what's come out of, and this is my area of expertise that I started out when I was at Dunhumby and we had the 56 million shoppers shopping at Kroger and 95 cents of every dollar spent was household identifiable. Now we start to be able to target people on what they are purchasing, right? What's more important to Diet Coke? A female 18 to 24 or someone who is a heavy buyer of carbonated soft drinks? There you go. Exactly. It's the real thing, baby. Um, but but it, obviously, you want to be able to target the the actual purchasing behavior, not the demographic behavior. And then add on to that this concept of product attributes, right, and lifestyles. So let's think gluten-free, sugar-free. All of these are are lifestyles, right? And if I can accurate, if I can now accurately tag items, and we 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 were taught we've talked with a couple of people about about product attributes, right? If I can tag an item as being gluten free, or being sugar free, or being non GMO, or being fair trade, whatever those attributes are, right? And now I've got all of this longitudinal purchasing behavior, either frequent shopper data or even stuff like fetch, right, where I'm tracking people omnichannel. I can start to score my users, my households, based upon the products that they're purchasing, and I can designate them as being living a gluten-free lifestyle. 
And if I have a sizable enough audience, now that becomes an overlay to programmatic media, right? Because instead of saying, I want to target someone who shops at Whole Foods or blah, blah, there are a lot of people that, that, are, that live a gluten-free lifestyle or a natural organic lifestyle and don't shop at Whole Foods for a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe there's, there isn't one near them. But if I can, if I can accurately profile shoppers, using big data, using product attributes and scoring households. Now I've got a really powerful engine that advertisers are going to desire because they can target and they can measure. What do you, I mean, I've, I've kind of uh, eulogized on this, but I'd sure love to hear your thoughts on the convergence of big data, product attributes, and the ability to measure the media that we are we are serving in front of them. I knew I knew that if I put these two guys together on the show, this is going to be all about the consumer, personalization, loyalty, 1P data, big data. Go for it, guys. For the first time in the CPG Guys history, Shri has been silenced. Well, the only thing I was going to say is, you know, grocery is really one of the best examples for that because grocery is so used to perishable items, right? The lettuce can only sit there for so long before it finally starts wilting and you got to get rid of it. Media is the exact same way. It doesn't matter if it's digital, traditional, no matter where it is, it's a perishable item. And so on both sides of that equation, on the side of the group that's selling the media, and at the same time of the group that's trying to buy that media, they both want the same thing. They want to make sure that they're talking to consumers that will react to whatever that message is. The only thing I'd add to, to kind of your soliloquy, uh, so to speak, to some extent, is that when both parts are trying to work together, then you really can dial into something. Because ultimately, as consumers, as I said when we kind of were first talking about this, I know I'm going to have to have advertising. I, I know that's how the world still operates. But I'd much rather be looking at products or be finding out about products or, or consuming content about products that I'm interested in or potentially interested in. The only thing I might add to part of what you said, though, is that brands also run a little risk. If you're only talking to this very kind of fine niche I know this consumer does this. I know they do this exactly. I know they'll behave this way. And gosh, if I can't just make sure that I can convert that sale, I've got yet another sale. There's nothing wrong with that. It's obviously typically usually the best use of your dollar, but you also still have to tell that story sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. It's not the same going down the grocery store with your cart and stopping at spaghetti and going, oh, I know I need spaghetti. I desperately need spaghetti. And so let me buy this brand. The brands that I see in the consumer packaged goods space that are really, really evolving or have huge opportunities are those that are just one rung up from that. They're there to tell a story. They're there to create a thought process. They're there to remind you that your Italian grandmother used to make spaghetti when you were a kid and she made it from scratch. And wasn't that just the best meal you could possibly have as opposed to going to one of these big boxes where everybody gets the same thing slapped on their plate. Boy, if you can tell that story, yes, you are trying to push them to the direction of, maybe I should have spaghetti this week. And yes, that may help all of the brands in the spaghetti space. But what I might preface with that is that what's changed now is that so few of us actually go into the grocery store anymore, or in some cases, fewer and fewer. That cord is continuing to get cut. So if you're not telling that story somewhere, if you're not creating that content, if you're not creating that visualization of, damn, man, I'm really in the mood for some spaghetti, which, by the way, this is lunchtime. Now I'm getting hungry. Um, 
you're missing a chance. And if you'll just think a little bit outside of, I own all this first party data and so let me only talk to these people and only this way, if you just expand that scope just a little bit, boy, now you've created an opportunity for yourself to really lead in a space that all of us here on this podcast and anybody who's listening to this podcast knows that CPG is that next piece. Automotive used to always lead the way when it came to advertising. And so you would have the big brand. You'd have tier one and tier two and tier three. And for that, that means I'm Jaguar. And now I'm the Jag- I'm Jaguar nationally. And then I'm Jaguar regionally. I'm all these different little Jaguar dealers. And now I'm the little Jaguar guy who runs a dealership off of Himes in Tampa. The CPG space is right at that cusp. They're right at that opportunity to be able to say, you know what you want for dinner tonight? What's spaghetti? And not only do you want spaghetti, but you want our brand. And why do you want our brand? Because it's fresh. It's the freshest. And the consumers who've tried our brand versus other brands have said, nothing's like this. It doesn't matter what it costs. This, if you're going to have authentic Italian spaghetti, this is it. That journey is what changes our minds. It gets us to pay more for something just for the experience itself. Before we continue with this week's episode, a brief message about new. The network of executive women is a growing community of over 14,000 professionals representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. This week, you can attend Defining Mentors, Sponsors, Allies, and Coaches on Tuesday, November 16, 2021 at 12 noon to 1 o'clock Central Time, where you will learn how to strategize and identify your relationships to promote personal and professional development. For more information on how to get involved with NEW, visit newonline.org slash cpgguys. And don't forget to tune in to the Advancing All Women podcast on Voice America, hosted by new president and CEO, Sarah Alter. Listen every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with rebroadcasts weekly on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And also download episodes after they air wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, visit newonline.org slash cpgguys to learn more about becoming a member of New. And now, back to our episode. Sean, I, I love big- authentic I love authentic Italian dinners prepared by Shri's grandmother. She always delivers the experience that brings fond memories to me. Right, Shri? The only challenge, Peter, for you was she confuses parsley with cilantro. I know. I hate when that happens. But, but it we totally to, throws off the recipe. Assuming, and I know Sean loves cilantro, so we got we to gotta fix that. But I have a big question for you on that one, Sean. What do you think in the brand universe, How what percentage of the brand universe understands this new modern way of marketing? I think it depends on who's sitting in some of the seats. You know, I mean, again, I think the beauty of the space I'm in is that a lot of marketers, especially today, it used to be sales. If you're the best salesperson, you kind of moved up that seat or the best saleswoman, you know, whatever position that is in, you kind of moved up those seats. Um, I think today a lot of marketers are getting more and more opportunity to be able to move up a little higher in, in some different change. We talked, you know, on one of my podcasts about, uh, uh, you know, people like Meyer Gupta, you know, who's, who's been on that space. We talked about Jackson Giannigam at Clorox. You know, these are super, super, super smart people. And I'll only add this piece as well. You know, we're three guys and we're all talking about what we know. But man, I think there continues to be some amazing opportunities, hopefully, for women to continue to build and grow out there. They buy almost everything. They make almost every major purchasing decision. 
And any brand who does not have a female sitting in that executive suite and they're in the CPG business, they are absolutely missing an opportunity to be able to figure out how do we actually grow our business, which ultimately at the end of the day, I thought that's kind of what this was all about. So I don't want to talk myself out of a future job, but I'll tell you, the, the more we've brought females into our ranks of leadership within our you know, uh, group of companies, um, the smarter and smarter I think we've gotten about really understanding consumer behavior out there. So Sean, I'm going to, so we talked a lot about the consumer purchasing dynamics, data, marketing, right? I know Peter and I are really wanting to understand why was CMO Suite born? And then if you're doing three podcasts, how are you getting such an elite list, a diverse spectrum of guests to come on the CMO Suite? When I say diverse, I mean across the industry, across industry, right? Like what kind of work is that? What was the inspiration for the CMO Suite? And how are you doing this? And do you do a lot of what we do, which is begging? Because that's, no, that's kind of how we get people on. But anyhow, sorry. No, you're fine. I'll be completely honest with you. It was born out of one of my employees. Uh, her name is Amal Saneed. She is Moroccan. She's one of our creative directors. And she could just tell I was kind of struggling in this space. I had been, I'd been in this space for so long, I just had burnt out on it, to be honest with you guys. And I think she could see that. She could see that in my eyes, right? And so she just asked me, do you listen to any podcasts? I was like, Amal, I have no time to listen to podcasts. Do you see what's on my plate? And she's like... I think you really like this one called How I Built This. Had never heard of it. Had not listened to any podcast. Even though I came from the radio industry, I just it, it, it wasn't on my radar. And that was really the, you know, the impetus for it. I listened to that podcast. What I absolutely love about that podcast is its stories of failure as well as success. It's stories of how I stumbled, how I fumbled, how a bit of luck, how a bit of inspiration really inspire these entrepreneurs. And if that didn't just give me a little bit of a jolt of like, you know what, Sean, you built something here and you should be proud of what you've built. And yeah, it's okay to burn out a little bit. It's okay to, to, to feel a little lost. In fact, it's okay to fail. Nobody had ever said that to me. And that show did. So that really was the impetus to kind of start a podcast. And then it kind of came down to what do I want to do? And as I looked around, you know, um, Ad Age and Ad Week, you know, we're kind of just starting more of theirs. Um, and I just thought, gosh, you know, the agencies that I saw doing this were all just talking by themselves or they were talking with only a client. And I thought, I, I just need something different. No, nobody cares about me, honestly. Maybe some of these listeners on the show might, which is maybe there's a beauty in that. Ultimately, that comes a little full circle. But it felt like if it was just me, I got him for maybe an episode. But if I could bring some larger people in, some people that, that I know I'm interested in, gosh, maybe, maybe some other people might think that as well. And so all, all BS aside... I kind of just threw an offer out there to, a, to a, a list that we had of email addresses of people that we've been sending case studies to, and you should work with us too, and, and getting almost no response, rightfully so. And within a day, crazily, I probably got three or four responses from people that I have been chasing forever. I'll throw one name out there, Joanne Harold, who's the CMO at Honey Baked Hams. I've probably sent her 100 emails over the last decade sent her one email that said, hey, I'm doing this podcast. Are you interested? She was one of the first ones that said, yep, I'll do it. And the beauty of that for me, uh, I'll say is a couple of things. One, it gave me a chance to talk to people that I've always wanted to talk to. And at the same time, I was authentic in how I did that. We don't pitch our, the people who are our guests. We don't pitch them after the show. We don't send them a bunch of stuff that says you should do business with us. Um, we just do the show. And by being authentic like that, 
it's allowed that kind of personal and professional place to kind of have a little bit of a nuance of a difference. And if you're ever thinking of building a podcast and you're thinking of having guests on or whatever your thought is in the podcast space, when you're that authentic and they know that you're not going to pitch them, then what happens is more and more people actually come to you. More and more of them say, hey, I listened to that episode or I was talking to my buddy Fernando Machado the other day and um, gosh, you know, he said he really loved that experience with you. Um, that to me is kind of really what got us going down the direction. We don't have to beg um, anymore for that show, which again, I, I, it's a blessing. I count my blessings. We're getting ready to kick off season six. We have 16 slots. We just filled 12 of them in one day yesterday. 12. Like I have four slots left. I don't knock them out as much as you guys do. Um, and I, bl I bless you guys for that. But again, anybody that's listening to this show, anybody that's trying to figure out, gosh, what would anybody care if I have something to say about it? Find your spot, you know, and be inspired by this show. Be inspired by the CPG guys. Realize that they have such a wide audience that to Sheree's point, it, it creates a massive following. If you have a following of 300, but they're 300 great people. Great. Great. And the other two podcasts you, are just one-offs. You know that I'm sure it's true for you, Sean. Uh, Sheree and I say this all the time. This podcast that, that we run is by far the single greatest networking tool that has ever fallen into our lap. I was on an unrelated client call uh, for my day job um, earlier this year and had on big, notable consumer packaged goods client. And I'd been dealing with them for years. So they all knew me. We were chatting and they said, oh, by the way, our new chief digital officer is coming on on the call. And uh, she she gets on the call and she, sorry, I was late, blah, blah, blah. And she stops and she, you could see her and she's squinting and she looks at the screen. She goes, oh, my God, you're one of the CPG guys. And then goes total fangirl for five or 10 minutes and says, I listen to your podcast every morning when I go running. I'm three quarters away through the inventory. I don't know what I'm going to do when I catch up. Could you go to five times a week so I have something every morning? And I'd love to say that that is abnormal, but increasingly it isn't. And it to us, it just... Shri and I are very authentic about our love for doing this. We just enjoy doing this. And, and I think it's true with you as well. It shines through. And then these people want to work with us. They reach you know, out. The, the way, Peter, I've always seen it is if you got a few hours to spare in your week, weekend, whatever it is, you know, for us, it's largely weekends. But some people like to go whitewater rafting to decompress. Some people do other stuff, you know. I like podcasts. That's my mm. methodology for decompression. And then doing this week over week, bringing our guests on, this is my learning platform as well. Yeah. You know, I was telling Sean earlier on his show that the CMO suite gives me the luxury of learning every time I learn something from one of those CMOs who show up. And then that results in Sean, me jumping to buyer's remorse because what an interesting name yeah. for the show, buyer's remorse. What's going on in the show? Why buyer's remorse? I, 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 by the way, I think whenever I hear that, I think of that that wonderful uh, uh, organizational behavior and, and marketing term, um, post purchase dissonance. Right? <laughs> I don't want to admit that what I made, what I did, was wrong because I've already bought into it. But buyer's remorse is about actually yeah, he's come up with a cool name. Yeah, buyer's remorse. Actually that... admitting, admitting that oh my god, I may have not done the right thing. I've, I've got to throw a couple things out there again uh, for just that. You know, I, I, I've done the other two podcasts. I, I love the CMO Suite podcast. That we do. It's very positive. We follow a very similar pattern. And then the digital fix, as I said, was just a chance for me just to kind of learn more about that industry. But buyer's remorse was something I just thought, we have something that's at least a little 
either a little shocking or a little interesting that I remember one of the, one of the podcast people from uh, Ad Age when my friend Josh Golden was over there, he, he actually uh, uh, called me up after I'd done a podcast. It might have been with Fernando Machado or somebody else. And they almost started crying on the podcast. And I was like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry. Let's change the subject. And he was like, you killed the lead, Sean. You killed the lead. And so I was like, huh? He's like, you want him to cry. Um, and so, again, I just felt like buyer's remorse was a chance to just kind of tell some dirty stories a little bit. There's one of my favorite media buyers who I've known for probably the better part of 30 years. Her name is Marta Davies. We actually started the first episode, basically the second episode is with her. And, you know, she's this typical New York kind of media buyer. You know, you'd see her smoking a cigarette and talking about, you know, my dealer's dropping off my weed later on today. And so she just has no filter, but she's the nicest person in the world. And so, you know, again, for me, it was just a chance to kind of talk about, you know, the scary part of this too. You know, all three of us on this call are all evolving who we are. We're all trying to figure out what's next. We're all trying to stay a little ahead, ahead of that curve. There's nothing wrong with the young guns that are behind us, these young you know, men and women that are out there that are in their 20s that are just so freaking smart and they know everything there is to know. But you know, there's a little bit of, of real life sometimes out there, whether it's remorse because you screwed up a, a big media campaign or you forgot to turn something off and the, the money kept flowing, or it's just a little bit of remorse of like, Gosh, I just, I don't want to have to keep learning more and it's coming so fast. You know, if you're in this CPG space, buckle up, you know, because if you think that what's happening today, that you can just kind of hold your breath and stay in the spot that you're in and everything will be fine, it it is all changing so fast. And you throw COVID in the mix of this and my God, you know, um, brands like Walmart Plus that have been uh, uh, at the forefront of technology who, who just, I don't want to say they had luck at their side, but when COVID hit and they were already there, um, you know, it, we're not going back. You know, I don't know that there's going to be this renaissance of all of us going, I'd love to get in my car and go down to the local public store and let me walk 12 aisles and see what's new out there. I just don't see it happening. Maybe I'm wrong, but if you're in the space, you better understand tech. You better understand who your competitors are. And you better realize that those young brands that we're talking about on this podcast that we're trying to keep an eye on, it's the same thing in your space because the next young brand is coming right behind you and shelf space does not matter as much. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I think about when I would call on, on brands, even in the, you know, around the late nineties, early two thousands and, and most of their a brand, you know, they, they would go through this rotation, right? 18, 24 months on brand, get the promotion, move to next brand, right? And what they would do is they would, they would do the interesting thing. Like they'd hire a promotion agency and they do one or two little things. But really what they would do is they would buy four FSIs and that was, that guaranteed them the half a percent lift and they did a little something fun and they moved on to their no rotation. You can't do that anymore. You just can't do that anymore. And it is hard. You do have to lean in. If you don't understand, at least fundamentally, the capabilities of all these different levers, you're going to get hammered. You're, you're going to watch people move up and move ahead and drive more business. And your brand isn't going to go anywhere. So you can't, don't sit around waiting for the FSI. The FSI is dead and you need to start figuring out all of these new ways to reach and engage your consumers to grow your business. 
think I think the retailer understands that as well. You know, again, the Publix yeah. is the world, the, the Kroger's of the world. They realize that. You know, they're not idiots. Um, they they want to make sure that you know that they generate revenue, of course, and they realize that selling an end cap of here's mixed nuts and you know and and water. Um, it's just not going to move it anymore because if I've told my shopper to go get me water, they're not, you know, they're not buying nuts. And at the same time, as I was kind of saying, Peter, a little bit, I look at these young brands that are out there, you know, these canteens of the world, these brands that, that understand brand. Like you yeah. take a brand like Canteen, which again, uh, full disclosure, it's a brand that we work with. Those guys are marketers. They've got a good yeah. product, but they know yeah. marketing. Yeah. And so they're not sitting around trying to figure out how to, how a planogram is going to work. They're out there talking to consumers saying, Hey, this is the life and lifestyle that you live. Drink this brand because this brand represents you. And consumers are going, okay. And they're going into retail going or sending their shopper into retail going, why don't you guys carry this brand? So the marketing part of this is critical. It really, yeah. really is. I'm sure you hear this from brands all the time. Shri and I do, but large brands bemoaning that their share online is not commensurate with what their traditional brick and mortar is. And it's like, because you've, you've built an infrastructure and invested against the mechanisms that work in the physical world. These, these, these digitally native brands are coming in and they are levering, they are leveraging the tools and capabilities they understand in the digital world. And you're not structured to win in that capacity. And that's why they're all scrambling, I think. I think there's also an element of just not understanding the space, right? So again, yeah. we, we dealt with, with a lot of CPG brands. They're, they're having to build budgets they never had to build before. And they're having to explain yeah. that to shareholders. And they have to explain that to chief, you know, chief uh, financial officers. And so yeah. if you've never had, you know, if your brand nationally, uh, your media budget was half a million dollars, and that always just seemed to kind of work to your point, like we buy a couple shopper promotions and then we do this and maybe we do a sampling. And now suddenly your CMO is saying, hey, I need two and a half million dollars. You're saying to them, well, I better get, you know, a three times return on my investment. And the reality is that's not going to happen. And so those, yeah. those CEOs that think that they're going to get instantaneously a two and a half or three times return on revenue simply because they've started actually building a brand to consumers who may not know them. They just need to live in the reality world that that's, that's not going to do it. And you're just going to end up churning through cheap, you know, CMOs after CMO after CMO. If that's what you think is going to happen, you're starting from scratch. You're building a brand to a massive amount of consumers who don't know you. Um, they only know you from walking down the store and they may only recognize the box or the bottle or something else. So if you want to be around, my advice is build a reasonable budget and tell the story and invest in content. That's the last thing, you know, I'll kind of soliloquy on this. And I, again, appreciate you guys having me as part of the show. Hopefully you guys have felt like some of this is interesting. Content, content, content is king. A media company like ours can buy the best, the best list, we could buy the best placement, you know, within the product that you that, that you guys all work for. At the end of the day, if it's not a compelling story, nobody cares. So you should be really, really investing in that side as well, either in a great creative director, a really amazing creative agency, which we don't have. And there's plenty of amazing ones out there. What's your story? Why should I care? Why should I care? And if you can tell me that, great. I'm all in. If you can help me to understand, hey, different shoes fit different ways. And really, if you're wide, this is why it's called wide. Or if you're buying a European shoe, this is how that works. I'll soak that kind of stuff all day long. And that then may, maybe takes us a little full circle because that's where programmatic 
behavioral and contextual targeting really can then try to bring that brand home. You can still buy spots in apps. You can still make sure that you've got great first-party data. But if you can have your ad contextually next to a story that's talking about my Italian mother and the food that she used to make, and meanwhile, your, you know, your pasta sauce is sitting right there, that, that's worth its weight in gold. You know, we just have to make sure it's parsley and not cilantro. That's all. Because Sean, Sean loves cilantro. That said, that said, this, this sentence that I, that I will close this episode out with is a very simple one. You know, digital is the playground for the nimble. And I'll let people interpret that the way that they want to. But Peter, what a fun episode, right? I knew this is what would happen if we'd bring Sean. We truly get into the world of media. But I also feel we got to do a part two at some point here, Sean, because I didn't get to talk to you about the difference between first and second price auctions and which one's better as these platforms change. And we didn't talk about the difference, which one is more important, CPC or CAC. And we got to get to that at some point. But I love the way you closed that out by there, by when you talked about when you bring in a CMO, what do you hold them accountable for from a performance marketing perspective with the expectations of 3x, 5x? Is ROAS the most important metric? Are you measuring them for reach and audience like you did in a previous life? And just because you got the full funnel now, you jumped all the way to the bottom, right? So um, I want to thank all our listeners for chiming in week over week, listening to our episodes now twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. The best way for you to join this growing family is by going to linkedin.com, going to the search bar, typing CPG guys and hitting the blue plus follow button. And you can participate in who comes here, the discussions we have, such as this awesome one with Mr. Sean Halter himself, CEO of Connectivity Holdings. Sean, from Peter on my behalf, thank you so much for appearing on the show. Absolute pleasure, guys, truly. I, I can't wait to listen to the next episode. My co-host, Mr. Bond, a pleasure doing this week over week with you. I could see the glow in your eyes when you saw a fellow podcaster as well as a fellow believer in marketing and loyalty deep in the industry. You both, uh, I, I can probably put you all in the room post-COVID and you all can probably discuss this for hours, but I know we need a part two so we can get into some of those metrics. What do you think, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you going to grocery shop, Pay attention on Monday morning. You may see Sean and me loitering about the show. We're planning on connecting. And if you do, come on over and say hi. If this episode airs prior to that, uh, yeah. hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I would love to meet some people at the at grocery shop. Absolutely. Hit me up. It's going to be great. And with that, I'll thank our listeners for chiming in week over week. And we will catch you soon in another episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability 
or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.